Hi, I'd like to welcome you to our show. I'm your host, Praying Medic. We're talking about life as a child of God and all things related to his kingdom. Thanks for joining us. If you're a new listener to the show, you can find articles and books and other resources on my website, www.prayingmedic.com. Now let's jump into this week's show. So we had the French election today, and Marine Le Pen was a long shot. And a lot of us conservatives were kind of hoping that Le Pen would get in because we see her kind of as a female Donald Trump. She's a patriot. Some people would call her a nationalist. And some people would call her a Nazi or, a, you know, whatever. Um, I, I don't, even though Marine Le Pen's father was definitely a white nationalist racist. I don't see that in Le Pen. I see her as more of a, a, a populist and more of a, just a, a patriot who loves her country, loves her country, loves the culture, loves what it stands for, and hates to see what is happening to it, being destroyed. So I don't think it's a, a sin to hate watching your country destroyed. Um, that, that makes you a patriot. <laughs> All right. What did the prophets of the Old Testament, what did the prophets of the Old Testament do? They were patriots. They wanted to see Israel blessed and being prosperous and walking in righteousness and following God's commands. Were, were, the, were the patriarchs, the Old, Old Testament prophets, were they racist? Were they Nazis? No, they were patriots. They loved Israel and they, want, and they knew that God loved Israel and they wanted to see Israel blessed. And that's, that's patriotism. If you get that, you get that. If you don't, you don't. Um, so I see, I see Marine Le Pen as a patriot. Okay, so she was a long shot, um, far right, you know, on the spectrum, political spectrum, far right. You had one, um, no, Le Pen did not win. She, she got smoked. Uh, Monsieur Macron is the new presidential uh, leader for France. Uh, he is described as more of a centrist. He is probably very much like in the, in the political area of President Obama. Um, kind of, kind of big on, on socialism, more left of center than right of center. I think he has been accused of being a Soros puppet is totally okay with globalism is totally okay with open borders is fine with Muslim immigrants coming in from all over the world. He's okay with all that stuff. Uh, he doesn't have any political experience in elected office. He's a banker. <clears throat> and as Adam if you guys want to get a little bit more information on the election and everything and what's going on with, with Congress and President Trump, catch Adam Gingrich's uh, Periscope from this afternoon. He didn't scope last night. He wanted to wait until after the election returns were coming in today, and he Periscoped about it. So he has a very long Periscope. You can learn more about that. I'm not going to cover too much of what um, Adam covered um, he, he did a, he did a pretty good 
job covering all that stuff, and I don't want to rehash what he already went over. But I will say this. I did want to say this. Adam pointed out that European politics, and this is not just true of European politics. It's true of American politics. There is a pendulum of public consensus in politics. It swings back and forth from left to right, from conservative to liberal. It's back and forth. You like this shirt? <laughs> it's, hey, come on. I'm in Phoenix. It's almost summer. It was 104 here yesterday. The high today, I think, is 72. Uh, we had a cold front come through, and boom, our temperature dropped like crazy overnight. But I'm still doing the party shirt. <clears throat> What's going on, Leslie? Hey, my neighbor, Leslie, is on Facebook. So, uh, pendulum swings back and forth from left to right. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Before our elections this fall, I had a Facebook friend who, who predicted we would never again have a conservative Republican president. He honestly thought that the Republicans would never again hold presidential office. And I was just thinking, wow, dude, you, you don't know how, I don't know how old the guy was, but I'm like, you don't understand that, like, you have conservatives in office for a while, and then people get tired of that, and then they want to have liberals. They get tired of that, and they want to have conservatives, and it goes back and forth. That's how history is. That is how the cycle of politics goes. People get tired of what they have, and they want something else. So... So we have to understand that, look at American history in the last 50 years. In the 60s, we had a flip-flop of conservative and liberal presidents. John Kennedy, LBJ, Nixon, Carter. Nixon, conservative. Carter, very liberal. Reagan, very conservative. Okay. Oh, uh, Clinton, very liberal. So you have this continual going back and forth from conservative to liberal. When you look at political cycles, that's what you see. That is what you get in politics. You will have either, you'll have conservatives and, and, and liberals switching control because the people get tired of what they have. It works for a while and then it doesn't work and then they switch back. So... The only question is, how long does it take the switch to happen? How long does it take the pendulum to swing in from one direction and go back to the other? That is what determines if a president gets reelected or has a long-term in office or a short-term in office. Okay, so when you, us... As Americans, most of us look at what's happening in Europe and think, what are these people thinking? Their, their continent is getting destroyed. Rioting, murder, rape. It's just, it's out of control. And then you throw in the economic problems. Their economy is crashed. It's toast. Their European Central Bank is on the verge of collapse. Um, they have no economic growth. They have massive debt. And we're, as Americans, we're sitting here thinking, what are you people thinking? Well, here is what we have to remember. Okay. 
the pendulum is swinging in one direction or the other. Okay. As long as the, the liberals, the socialists are in control in Europe, they're going to be for open borders and socialism and let the, let the government tax people to death, take that tax money, give them health care, give them whatever. And eventually socialism always destroys itself. It will always destroy a society wherever it goes. That's just how socialism works. Um, <laughs> hey, Mar Margaret Thatcher, socialism is great until you run out of every, uh, other people's money. Okay. The secret to socialism is somebody else is always paying for what you're getting. When you run out of money and there's no one else to pay for it, socialism collapses. Society collapses and you see what's going on in Venezuela right now. Socialism works great for a while and then it becomes a death spiral. Look at the Soviet Union. Look at what's happening in Europe and look at Venezuela. Okay. Socialism is a, is a nice fluffy idea that everybody gets evenly and nobody's going to get taken advantage of. Nice idea in theory doesn't work out in actual practice. Okay. That is why China is become a free market capitalist society. That is why Russia is now has been moving toward capitalism because they realize socialism isn't working. So what we've got is a we've got a we've got a political pendulum swinging from one direction to the other. Uh, all right, and you have to ask yourself which direction is it going in Europe right now. What happened with Geert Wilders in Netherlands? Far right populist. Okay, wanted to close down the mosques in. Netherlands. Geert came close to winning. He gained a lot of support. His party gained a lot of seats in Parliament. Uh, Marine Le Pen loses the election, but her party will gain seats in Parliament. So what I see is I see a Europe that is moving away from the left, away from socialism. They're moving in the direction of conservatism. But the pendulum is in progress. It's swinging, and it's a slow process. But it's swinging in the direction of, it's swinging to the right. It's swinging towards conservatism. It hasn't made it there yet. It has, there hasn't been enough destruction and poverty and um, horrible conditions to convince enough people that what they had for the last 10 or 15 years isn't working. So they're going to continue to allow some of the socialists to, to have control because, because here's, here's what it really comes down to. The government, the, the European Central Bank and Germany and France and Spain and some of the larger countries have been able to borrow enough money to keep people uh, on unemployment and to keep their benefits going. And as long as that happens, it's going to be hard for socialism to get kicked out. But once the money runs out and the central bank can't borrow any more money and the economy and the people who are unemployed in Spain and Italy and other places where, where adult uh, male unemployment for guys, I, I heard 
that for young men between the ages of 18 and 29 in Spain, the unemployment rate is around 90%. There just aren't any jobs in Spain. What's keeping those people from rioting? They're getting unemployment checks. The government continues to give them money every month to get by with. As long as the government is giving you money, you're not going to riot, even if you don't have a job. At least you can put food on the table. That's all borrowed money. <laughs> the, the European economy is in, is in a standstill or it's in a contra contraction. Look, here's, here's the reality. One of these days I'm going to do a, uh, a message on the eco economics and central banking and borrowing money and all that. I'm not going to do that today. I'll do that in the future. But here's the reality. The European Central Bank has been borrowing money and printing money in the trillions, just like the United States has for the last eight years. Ever since the economic downturn of 2008-2009, the economies of the world started to shrink and started to collapse. And the only thing that prevented an economic meltdown was tons and tons of borrowing, printing money, monetizing debt, and putting money out there into society to keep things going. That was the only thing that kept our countries from collapsing. It created a bubble. There's a huge stock market bubble right now. And it has created a false sense of security among people in Europe and the United States. We think everything's hunky-dory, everything's great, because we, even if we don't have a job, we have an unemployment check, and our bills are being paid. But here's the thing. We have been mounting massive debt in the trillions over the last eight years. And that debt is going to come home, come back one of these days. The reason why Venezuela is in turmoil right now is because of hyperinflation and overextending their public debt. The reason why Argentina's economy collapsed in 2002 and 2003 they overextended their credit. They got massively into debt, hyperinflation, and, their, and everything went to hell. The reason why Russia almost had a collapsed economy, economic collapse in the early 90s, same thing. They were able to correct it. But the, the United States and Europe are walking a fine line uh, on, on the edge of economic collapse the only thing that has prevented that from happening is massive borrowing and monetizing debt. All right. And we're, there is going to come a point where the United States and Europe have to decide, are they going to continue to pile on more debt, more borrowing, more borrowing, to pay more bills and more debt, and eventually you have an economic collapse because eventually you default on your debt. And when a sovereign nation defaults on its debt, the banks that it owes the money to collapse. If, if the United States owes money to all these banks and it's make, we're making interest payments on the debt, but one day the Treasury says, we're not gonna, we can't make that payment to that bank. That bank is relying on income from the United States government. To, the government sells bonds to bring up more debt. When a government decides not to pay back its bonds to make its interest payments, the banks 
that it owes the money to collapse. That's the problem with economic debt. For, for, it's a problem with uh, monetizing debt, governments monetizing their debt. You rack up more and more debt and you get to a point where you can't make the interest payment anymore. When you can't make the interest payment, the banks that you owe the money to collapse. When the banks collapse, the stock market collapses. When the stock market collapses, there is a run on the banks. People go to get money. There is this, and that's what you see in Venezuela, okay? You can look historically and just look at the cycle of how things happen when there's an economic collapse. And it starts by massive government debt. All right. There's going to come a point in the near future when the nations of Europe are going to have to decide, are we going to continue to go further into debt and run the risk of default? Or are we going to rein in our debt and stop spending and cut back spending? That is a point we're at right now in the United States. Okay. Uh, Tom Price, who is the Secretary of Health and Human Services, has to go before the American people and explain to them why he wants to cut Medicaid expenses by a trillion dollars. And everyone's saying, oh, that's going to put people out of insurance. It's going to, people are going to die. It's going to destroy the healthcare system. It's not fair to the underprivileged and the poor and the, and the disabled. That's, that's all true. That is all true. But here is the problem. We have $20 trillion in debt. And the interest payment alone on our debt is the fourth largest part of our federal budget. And we, that is paying almost nothing in interest. The interest rates are so low, we're paying very little percentage-wise in interest. The problem is interest rates are rising. And when interest rates go back up to 4 5 6%, the amount of money we're going to be paying out to repay the interest on our debt will destroy all of our, it will destroy the income that we should be using for Medicare and Medicaid and public housing and defense spending. We are going to have a choice one of these days to either pay the bill to the banks and make our interest payments, or we're going to keep the lights on at the VA hospital and we're going to make sure people get their social security checks and we're going to pay the defense, but we're not going to pay the interest on the debt. We are getting to a point in our government and banking situation where we have a very difficult choice we're going to have to make. So Tom Price has to go before the American people and say, we have to cut a trillion dollars from Medicaid spending. Why? Because if we don't, we are in serious trouble. We, are, we have to start cutting our debt somehow. We have to do it. We don't have a choice. There is no choice. For the last eight years, we went from a $10 trillion debt to a $20 trillion debt. In eight years, we doubled our debt. That has got to be reversed or we are going to end up like Venezuela. It has to be reversed <clears throat> or we're going to collapse the banking system. We're going to collapse the stock markets and we're going to destroy our economy. And people are going to be living like they are in Venezuela. There's going to be no food. There's going to be nothing. We will destroy our nation if we do not cut spending. And that is the difficult, 
That's a difficult work that Trump and Congress has to do now. Nobody wants to go to the VA and say, we're going to have to close down some VA hospitals. No one wants to go to Medicaid recipients, the elderly, the poor, and the disabled, and tell them, we're going to have to cut your benefits, federal benefits. If they do, the state is going to have to try to make up the difference, right? That's going to put a massive burden on the states to make up that difference. But everything is being cut. The State Department is being cut. Everything but the military. I'm just being honest. Everything but the military. And if you're pissed off because the government is cutting Medicaid spending and increasing spending on defense, you have a legitimate complaint. I'm not going to argue that with you. That's a legit complaint. I don't, I don't know that it's a good thing to continue to increase defense spending and decrease spending on health care. There's a lot of people that are going to have a problem with that. But we, we, live, we live in some very difficult times right now. I'm not going to lie to anybody. And, and this kind of comes into what we have going on in September. In September, it's the beginning of the new fiscal year, and we're going to do a new budget for this September of 17 to two, September of 2018. And although Trump has kind of, he's cleared the hurdle on, on health care in the House, health care still has to go to the Senate, and they have to create, craft a bill for health care. He's got tax reform coming up, and then he's got the budget coming up in, in the fall. He's got some very difficult hurdles ahead. He's trying to build some momentum in Congress to get some leaders in the Senate and House that will work with him. But here's the thing. Trump is getting momentum. He is gaining momentum, and he's moving, he's moving the football down the field. He is trying to, he's trying to bring a team of people together to work with him who are not used to working with someone who is not a politician. The, the real problem with, with spending is K Street. It is the fact that companies and organizations spend hundreds of millions and billions of dollars hiring attorneys and lobbyists, and they open offices on K Street in Washington, D.C. They hire attorneys to write bills. Okay. Senators and congressmen don't write legislation. Lawyers for private interest groups write legislation. Okay? So lawyers for Boeing and lawyers for Monsanto and lawyers for all these other companies, Ford, and lawyers for Amazon, they write the legislation. They hire attorneys, they go to Washington, they open up offices, and they have attorneys who write bills that are designed to help their business. The lobbyists take the bill, they go to Capitol Hill, and they try to sell that to a representative or a senator who will sponsor that bill. And what they get out of it, the legislation is designed to give a financial advantage to the company that wrote the legislation. Okay? Here's an example. If you're a dairy farmer from Wisconsin, and I've known a lot of dairy farmers from Wisconsin, and you, are, you represent a large organization of dairy farmers from California, New York, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, dairy farmers. Okay? We have a large organization. 
What we do is we hire a bunch of attorneys and we hire lobbyists and we send them to Washington and we tell them, here's what we want. We can't rely on the market to give us a fair price for our milk and cheese. What we want is you to go, the attorneys, go to Washington, D.C. and write some legislation that will tell the federal government they need to spend taxpayer money. And let's say we need $50 billion a year to subsidize the price of cheese and milk because the prices fluctuate and we want level prices. So the attorneys go to Washington, they write a bill, the lobbyists go to the Hill, find some senators, find some representatives, they sell the bill and they say, hey, we're gonna buy you a junket, we're gonna send you to the Cayman Islands, we're gonna give you a vacation, we'll have this really nice PowerPoint presentation on our bill. And here's what we want. We want $50 billion of taxpayer money to fund, to subsidize milk prices. And the senators and congressmen say, that's a great idea. We'll vote for that. We'll support that. So they make a bill. They pass it. The president signs it. And the taxpayers are now on the hook for $50 billion to subsidize a private, private organizations that produce milk and cheese. Okay? That is how legislation is made. And the problem with our spending in Washington is it's all being negotiated and run by and propagated by private interests and corporations and lobbyists and attorneys, okay? There's this huge pile, trillions and trillions of dollars. And the question is, who is going to get the money? Every corporation, every labor union, every... Sierra Club, all the organizations, all the nonprofits, they all want some of that money. They all want your money. So they hire attorneys and lobbyists, send them to Washington to get your money. And that's the problem with our budget. Our budget is being torn apart and being eaten up by tons and tons of private interests and attorneys and lobbyists who are getting, and, and the congressmen and senators of course, get tons of money in their political action committees and in their bank accounts. They're getting paid to do this. They, the corporations give the, our politicians the money and the politicians sponsor the bills and the money comes out of the taxpayers and it goes to the companies. That's the problem. That is the problem. And that is what Donald Trump is trying to fix. When Trump said, we're going to drain the swamp, that is what he's talking about. He is talking about getting rid of and minimizing the effect of lobbyists and attorneys and all this corporate greed. He's trying to bring spending down and rein it in so that we are not getting taxed to death and pushed further into debt toward the fiscal cliff that is going to destroy our country. That is a huge monumental goal that Trump has over the next four years, possibly eight years if he gets reelected. So that's the process that we're in. We're in this really messed up process where there's a lot of greed and there's a lot of people that are taking our money uh, because they can. Because you hire a bunch of attorneys and give them a bunch of money, tell them to go to Washington and spend it and bring back some more money, it'll happen.
So, what's happening in Europe? We, I, I'm not sure what's happening in Europe. I think, I think that Monsieur Macron will run things in France far enough and long enough with the help of Angela Merkel, who is also up for election. They'll continue to run this thing along in Europe. And if, they, if, if they're given enough rope and enough time, they will eventually put Europe into very, very dire straits. And at that point, the pendulum, when Europe gets into a very difficult spot, and we're seeing it in Venezuela, they had a collapse, there's no food, there's no money, and people are rioting, and they took the statue of Chavez and busted it up in the streets, that's when the pendulum starts swinging in the opposite direction. Because we've gone too far, we've let these people do their thing, they've destroyed our economy, destroyed our country, and at some point, people are going to say, we're done, you're out, we're going in the other direction. We do not know at what point that's going to happen. If the French people and the people of Germany and Italy, if they get red-pilled and they understand and they look, see where this is going, they will put the brakes on and they will demand change. But until that happens, it's going to keep going in the same direction. And that's what we're dealing with here in the United States. We've already, we've already reversed direction. We, under Obama, we were in big government, more debt, and people kind of woke up to, that's not a good thing. There's something bad about this. And now we're going in the opposite direction. So Trump is, the pendulum reached a point and now it's swinging back the other way. Trump has been in office for three months. He's already making huge changes, massive changes in the way things are done. He's going to continue making changes in the way things are done. He'll continue moving us away from that socialist, you know, nanny state, give the government all your money and let them decide what they're going to give you in return for it. <clears throat> Trump is moving it, us away from that, back to a true capitalist where every individual has the ability and the right to pursue freedom, pursue a lifestyle, own their own small business, make money, hire employees, and grow the economy. Okay? Free market capitalism. That's what we're going back toward. I think we're going to continue going in that direction because the pendulum is already swinging. And this is where I, this is where I disagree with Adam. Uh, Adam had his, on his scope earlier today. He said that he believes there's a good chance that the House is going to lose the Republican majority in 2018 because of the health care bill. Um, Adam, I love you, bro, but I totally disagree with you. And the reason I, I disagree is, okay, remember before the election, there was an interview with Helmut Norpoth with um, Bill Mitchell. Helmut is a st statistician and a political analyst. And he has correctly predicted every presidential election going back to the 50s, 60s, all right? They used his formula retrograde, and it predicted elections going back for almost 100 years, over 100 years. Anyway, it's not the point. The point is, Helmut Norpoth had made the observation 
about political momentum, that the pendulum swings back and forth. And you can look at voter turnout. You can look at the elections. You can look at primaries and know ahead of time what the election results are going to be. And you can do that because you can see political momentum over the period of years. And Helmut was one of the only people who predicted a Trump victory this year. And he predicted it because of the political momentum. He saw that Obama got elected and had a smaller margin of victory for his reelection. What that told Norpoth was Obama had momentum going this way when he got elected. And then his reelection numbers were smaller. So the momentum, the pendulum had already begun to swung back in 2012 when Obama got reelected, the, the pendulum was already swinging back toward the conservative side. And it was, Helmut said, it's a guaranteed deal that conservatives will win this presidency in 2016 because the pendulum is swinging in that direction. Now, here's what you have to understand. The pendulum is still swinging in the direction of conservatives. Even if the conservatives totally screw up this health care bill, the pendulum is already swinging. It's going in the direction of conservatives. Trump, by the end of the year, is going to have his budget. He will have settled things down in Syria. He'll probably have North Korea resolved. As Trump continues to get more and more victories, that pendulum for the cons in the direction of conservatives is going to keep on going. Regardless of what the New York Times says, regardless of what CNN tells you, regardless of what MSNBC and Rachel Maddow talk about, it doesn't matter any of it if trump continues to have those victories he will continue to move the pendulum in the direction of toward the conservatives and if he continues if he can if he keeps on fulfilling those promises if he gets the wall built if there's a lot of economic growth if unemployment stays low if there is uh, a lot of optimism in the country if there's an economic turnaround that will continue moving that pendulum in that direction. And all of that means that we, I don't think as a conservatives, I don't think we need to worry about losing the majority in the House or Senate. It's not going to happen. It just isn't. I realize, well, here's, and here's the other thing. The Democrats have no leadership. Zero. They got nothing. The DNC is, their GPS got fried. They don't know where they're going. You got Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, and I'm like, they, they can't get out of their own way. So the Democratic Party has such poor leadership, and Trump is such a strong leader. He's able to coalesce people. He has only been in office a few months. He's already getting the House and the Senate behind him. He's, they're starting to figure out that if they follow Trump, he'll take them in the right direction. So <clears throat> while I respect you, Adam, I do respectfully disagree. I think that the victories that Trump is going to have in the future, look, Trump knows how to win. He is a winner. He is a billionaire because he's smart. He is not the most articulate person in the world, but he is smart and he is strategic and he always has a plan. And that dude is gonna to continue to win and win and win and he doesn't know how to lose. He does not know how to lose. Look, 
He had no campaign contributions from anyone. He just got CNN and Fox and MSNBC to publicize the heck out of him during the, uh, during the campaign. He strategically got the mass media to fund his campaign, all of his stuff for free. I mean, he ran some ads, but not much. It was mostly, you know, the mainstream media trying to take him down and destroy him. And all it was was free publicity. Trump is smart. He knows what he's doing. He will figure out a way to work with Congress, and Congress will, will get clued in. Congress is getting red-pilled. They are understanding that they have got to start working with Trump because if Congress doesn't work with Trump, they are toast. They will get primaried if they do not work with Trump and move the football down the field and get some stuff done. So and that's what I've seen in this um, health care legislation. I was shocked. Nobody thought that there was going to be, the House would come up with a health care legislation bill this week, last week. Nobody thought it was going to happen. But see, Trump was on the phone calling, calling, calling people, calling, getting involved, making, you know, get deeply involved in part of the process. Not just telling people do this. He was on the phones. He was contacting everybody, making this work. His willing this thing to happen. That's what kind of that's the kind of leader we have in Trump. And I think Trump is going to continue to move that football down the field. He will he will continue. He's training. Trump is training Congress to work with him. He the, he has a new strategy, a new way of doing things. And Congress is like, what is this guy doing? How does he, you know, like. What is he, how does this work? What's my role? My, I thought I was supposed to be the one that was, no, it's Trump. So Trump is training his team. Adam, as you've said many times, Trump is frustrated because every corner people are letting him down. They're doing the wrong things. They're saying the wrong things. And Trump is back there shaking his head going, oh my gosh, what do I have to deal with next? But the thing is, Trump knows how to motivate people. He's a leader. He is, he's got a plan. He's strategic. He knows what he has to accomplish, and he will get it done. Under budget and on time. Which brings me to my dream from last night. All right. So it's interesting. I was reading an article last night about Trump. And, yeah, I had a dream last night about Trump. I have a lot of Trump dreams um, probably at least one dream about Donald Trump every week, 10 days, I have a dream about him, where God is showing me things that are going to happen in the future about Trump. So, um, have not had any dreams about Sessions yet, uh, Jen, um, or Comey. I can talk a little bit about Sessions and Comey if you want me to. Um, all right. Let me tell you about the story I was reading last, last night. It's an article, um, Daily Caller, I think. It was an article about this flap over Trump talking about the Civil War and how if Andrew Jackson was alive at the time of the Civil War, it never would have happened. Jackson would have stepped in and intervened and stopped it, and he said it never would have happened because Jackson is a personality type where he's a firm guy, but he was a very big-hearted man. Okay. Now, the media flipped out over this, and they said that Trump is an idiot 
doesn't know history, doesn't know the facts of the Civil War, doesn't know that Andrew Jackson died before the Civil War, you know. And they're just all these articles criticizing Trump. And Daily Caller had a, uh, has a, uh, an editorial writer who said, okay, people, do you realize what Trump said? He said, if Andrew Jackson had lived long enough <laughs> to be alive during the Civil War, he would have prevented it from happening. Okay, Trump was like, look, I know when Andrew Jackson died. He went to Jackson's grave. He visited a lot of places in Tennessee where Jackson hung out at, went to visit the grave of Jackson's wife. Trump has, has, has studied Andrew Jackson's history more than probably anyone else. So the media jumps on him, tell, calling him an idiot. And Trump's like, I know when he died. That's why I said, if he had been alive long enough. So here, what's happening? The media is taking every opportunity to try to make Trump look stupid, to make him look uninformed, to make him, to make him look wrong, right? I mean, that's, just, that's what they're doing. doesn't matter what Trump says, Rachel Maddow and even the conservative, Bill Kristol, all these pundits, they're all going to jump on Trump and try to make him look stupid, right? Okay, that's the setup to the dream that I, I had last night. This is the environment. This is the environment that Trump is living in. He's living with a hostile media that is trying to take him out. If you do not understand by now that the mainstream media, job one is to destroy Trump and to try to get him out of office and make him look like an idiot, you have not been paying attention because that is what they want to do. <laughs> they don't care about anything else. They want Trump gone. So in the dream that I had last night, the media was going after the president and they were criticizing what he was saying. And they were trying to make him look like a fool. And they were trying to prove him wrong. Right? In the dream, every time someone would criticize something that Trump said, he would give three names, the names of three people who could verify the accuracy of what he had just said. And as I woke up this morning, I thought, let every word be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Right? That's what Jesus said. That was kind of the Hebrew tradition. If you wanted to know the truth of a matter, if someone was accused of doing something wrong, you had to have witnesses who could bear witness to the truth or falsity of what you said. And in the dream, Trump had three witnesses, three people that he gave names of who would verify everything he said. I think this is something we can pray into. And here's what we need to pray for. Trump is going to continue to be assailed by the mainstream media. They're going to continue to come after him. They think that their ace is criticizing him and making him look stupid and making him look like a fool. And I think what Trump has realized is that's actually a trap that he can set to try to defeat the media. Look, make no mistake, this is war. Trump wants the mainstream media gone as much as they want him gone. Trump is going after the media. Not because he doesn't, not because he doesn't like um, 
news reporters. He's great with Fox. Hey, Hannity, you know, even Tucker Carlson. If you're going, if you will at least point out some of the good things that Trump is doing, you can, you can criticize him if it's legit. And, but, and if you highlight the good things he's doing, you can talk about the bad things. But if all you're going to do is talk about the bad things, Trump is not going to have much use for you. And here's the thing. Trump has a huge base of support. And Trump is using his base of support to try to take down the leftist, mainstream, corporate-controlled media. I, I think that is one of his strategic goals. And I think he is going to continue to troll the media by giving them statements and saying things they're going to jump on it, attack him, and he's going to say, oh, really? I'm a liar? Oh, really? I'm wrong? Oh, why don't you check with these people and ask them if I'm lying? Ask them if, if I'm saying, telling the truth or not. I, I suspect that Trump is going to continue this trolling the media, tweeting out things on Twitter just to get the mainstream media to jump its bait. That's all it is, right? He's baiting the trap. Mainstream media is so stupid, they will fall for it every time. It's like watching the Coyote and Roadrunner. You know, it's like, how many times does a Roadrunner have to spring a trap on the Coyote before the Coyote figures out, this is a trap. I probably shouldn't go for that. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Every single time they go for it. You're right about Trump and his golfing. Trump loves to golf. You know what? I have a lot of friends who like to golf. They like golf every weekend. Let me ask you this. Why did people criticize Obama for his golfing? Well, here's why. Because Obama would go to exotic destinations. He would spend millions and be gone on vacations, junkets, for weeks. And he did it often. Okay, it's not the golf. No one gives a rip if you go out and play golf on the freaking weekend. What does it matter if you're out washing your car, playing golf? Everybody that I know plays golf down here in Arizona. That's why you moved to Arizona, because you like to golf on the weekends, right? Do you know that Trump owns a golf course? <laughs> He's playing golf on his own golf course. It's his home. He lives in Miralago, okay? He's got a house there. That's his residence. He owns the country club. It's his golf course. Now, people are going to be complaining because... Trump is going home on the weekend, playing golf on his own golf course. Really? Trump gets up at 3 o'clock in the morning and is on Twitter and is on phone calls and is strategizing what he's going to do. He works all day long talking to foreign dignitaries, working with Congress, doing stuff, press meetings everywhere. He only sleeps like three or four hours a night. He's up till midnight, 1 o'clock, watching Fox Business News gets a couple hours sleep, and then he's back up again at 3 or 4 in the morning, and he's working all week. And so he goes to play golf on the weekend. And people are criticizing Trump because he's going home on the weekend to play golf on his own golf course. I'm like, it's a little bit different be between what Trump is doing and what Obama is doing. It's not the playing golf. It's taking the junkets, taking the vacations, spending, bringing all their friends along, spending millions of taxpayer dollars on these expensive vacations. That's, that's why people were pissed off at the Obamas. Not because he's playing golf. Nobody cares if he plays golf. It's spending all this money that going along with it. Anyway, not the point. I know you guys are, are praying for the president. 
and I know you guys are praying for the for the staff, and you're praying for our country, and you're praying for France. Keep praying for France. Keep praying for the president. Keep praying for our nation, that we will become a nation that is as great as we used to be. Keep praying for our leaders. Keep praying for good weather. <laughs> it's pretty good down here. I was out in the sun last couple of days. I'm getting a little bit tan. Trump never donated a dime. Well, that's actually not true. Trump is a very generous man. He gives hundreds of thousand dollars to people. He pays off people's hospital bills. He pays off people's mortgages. He's been doing that for decades, way before he was president. Trump is a very generous man. And the reason why, the reason why we love our president is because we see his heart. We see that he is a flawed man. He is an imperfect man. But as Sebastian Gorka said, and Sebastian Gorka has been teaching counterintelligence in the military academies for a long time. Sebastian Gorka knows a lot of patriotic people. And Gorka said, I've never met a more patriotic man than Donald Trump. He loves our country. And that love for our country and that love for our, the people of our country, whether they are Hispanic or Italian or Irish or doesn't matter. Trump loves America. He loves Americans. And he and, and people know that. They know that. Not everybody knows it. But the people who support him know how much he loves our country and loves our people. And we support him, and we're praying for him because we love him. You know, it's kind of interesting. The Bible says, we love God because he first loved us. Right? Our love for God is a response. When we realize that God loves us, we in turn love him. It's the same thing with Trump. People started to realize, wow, this guy actually cares about us. This guy has given up a billionaire lifestyle, has taken the slings and arrows and profanity and all of the opposition and the hatred and has given up all this lifestyle to go to Washington and try to make our country a better place to live. That speaks to me in spades that that guy loves our, he's not taking a, he's not taking a salary, donating it to charity. Um, Trump is going to make a dime off of being president. You know, what is Obama doing? He's got a hundred, couple hundred thousand dollar pension, two speeches to wall street, $800,000 in the last two weeks. That's why Obama be, wanted to become president. He knew because he knew after he's done with president, you can get $400,000 a speech. And pretty soon you're making in millions and millions and you're, you're just, you know, it for Obama, they're putting up a statue in, in Chicago for Obama. Why? Because it's, he's kind of an egotist, <laughs> you know? Now I'm not going to say Trump doesn't have a little bit of ego. <laughs> you can't get in the room with Trump and his ego. But the thing is Trump has an ego in, in, in a way, if you listen to the president talk, 
about what is happening around him. He never uses the word I. Unless someone is attacking him. When a president is being attacked, he will sometimes say I. But when he is talking about the accomplishments, it's the team. It's we. It's they. They did a great job. What did he do with um, the health care bill in, in, with the House a uh, couple weeks, days ago? They did a great job. Even Paul Ryan, who everyone hates, and everyone knows that Paul Ryan is on the, in the doghouse. Trump brought Paul Ryan up, congratulated him, gave him a spot in the microphone, on the microphone, let him talk for a while. Trump always talks about his team, his people, his organization. It's not about him. It, you have to listen to what Trump says and realize the guy very seldom does he talk about himself when he's talking about his accomplishments, unless, unless he's under attack. And then, he'll, and then he'll say, look, you want to read my resume? Here's what I've done. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And I won the election. And I, I beat all the odds. And I did this. He only uses the I word when he's defending himself against attacks. Otherwise, he's always talking about the team. And that shows humility. Trump is a very unusual man in that he has, he's a great man, but he has a lot of humility. One of, one of the defining moments for me when I, when I knew that Trump was the guy that I wanted to support, other than all the dreams that I've had, where God showed me what Trump's going to do, was when all these different evangelical leaders came together to pray over the president. This is way before the election. This is back in April or May last year. Hundreds of evangelical leaders gathered together to pray for the president and they supported him and they created a, a team of people who would support him and give him advice on creating legislation to help the community of faith. And the only time I think I saw Trump almost cry was at the, was at the uh, Republican National Convention when he was giving his acceptance speech and he talked about the evangelical leaders and he said, I do not deserve the support that these people have given me. I am so humbled and so grateful for the support that they've shown me and I honestly don't think I deserve it. And at that point, I, I was thinking, he's going to cry. He's going to break down and cry. Because that's the kind of guy he is. Support from people, from leaders, from the people means everything to him. He, I mean, it, it kind of doesn't, it kind of doesn't. I mean, Trump is a personality type where he's, he's a, he is an entrepreneur. Uh, the psychiatrist, David Kersey, would call him the um, artisan promoter. They're kind of loners. They're a loner personality type. They have great ideas and they're visionaries and they always want to be on to the next thing. The next idea, the next business, the next venture, the next this, the next that. They're always motivated by what am I going to do next? What am I going to create? What am I going to build? And how can I move this thing into production and reality and then go on to the next thing? Those people tend to be loners, but 
they do very much support or they do very much appreciate the support they get when they make things happen. So, so Trump needs our support. He needs our, he needs our love. He needs our, needs our support. He needs our prayers. We need to keep praying that any bad advisors would be uncovered and put out of the administration. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good prayer. Um, generally speaking, I think Trump has good advisors. You know, everybody has their issues and some people are concerned that he's got a bunch of globalists and neocons in the administration and they're going to, they're going to influence Trump in the wrong direction. You can't influence Trump in the wrong direction. You have to understand Trump's personality type. As an artisan promoter, that personality type is not influenced very easily. They are the one who sets the agenda. They are the one the artisan promoter comes up with the ideas. They promote their, their, the greatest idea. They come up with the idea. They have the plan. They will sometimes recruit people who have good ideas. They will find other people who can facilitate the plan, make it work better, make it more streamlined. They will incorporate people into the plan. But as soon as anything gets in, in the way of the plan moving forward, they're gone. Nothing gets in the way of the plan and the goals. Artisan promoters have goals they want to accomplish and they are led by and they're driven by their goals. Very ambitious. They're the most ambitious of all the personality types. And all they want to do is accomplish and get things done. And they will work with whoever and they'll teamwork and they'll bring people in to get ideas. But ultimately, they are very pragmatic and if something isn't working, they will get rid of that element that's not working and they'll replace it with something that will work. So, you know, people say, oh, he's got bad advisors. He's got corrupt. He's got, you know, it, Trump knows where he's going and he is going to put people in the places that will facilitate what he wants to get done. And he, that is why he's going to accomplish so much in the next four years is because it's his personality type. It's in his DNA. He can't do anything else. Trump, if Trump takes a weekend off to go golfing, it's only because he's strategizing about what he's going to accomplish the next week. <laughs> he's going to get so much done. It's going to be crazy because that's how that personality type is. They just want to keep on going and getting stuff done. That's, that still drives them, you know? So I, my personality type is I am what Kersey calls the <clears throat> a guardian provider. I am the social butterfly of all the personality types. I like to bring people to a table to talk, to discuss, socialize. Let's have a party. Make sure your drinks are full. I know everybody's name. I make sure that people are connecting and they're comfortable. And I like to facilitate meetings. Adam Gingrich, I think, is the same personality type as me. We like to make sure that everyone's safe. We like to make sure everyone's included. We want to make sure that everyone is informed and knows what's going on and that nobody's out of the loop. And we're the connectors. We connect people in society. See, there's all different personality types. Everybody has their, their part, right? And Trump is a personality type that they just want to accomplish things and build and create 
and sell their products and market it and get it going and get on to the next thing. So Trump is going to get a lot done. Like I said, it's in his DNA. He can't do anything else. It's just not in his personality type. Keep, on, keep the president in prayer. Don't lose hope. France is not toast yet, but the French people in, in Italy and Germany, and they, they, they need to get clued in. They need to look at what's happening. They need to take the big picture view and decide if their continent is going in the right direction or in the wrong direction. And eventually they will come to the conclusion, if things get bad enough, they'll understand they're going in the wrong direction and they need to reverse course. And that'll happen. <clears throat> Hopefully it'll happen sooner rather than later before they become Venezuela. That's, that's the plan. So we need to keep praying for, for France and Germany and all of Europe. We need to keep praying that God will open people's eyes and that they'll see the future and they'll say, we don't want that future. <laughs> we don't want to be destroyed and devastated. We want to be prosperous and blessed. So, yeah, Cynthia. Um, yeah, the the four person, those four personality types. That's kind of a, an, an older personality typing that's was popular in the seventies and eighties. Um, I really love David Kersey, and his he wrote a couple of books. Called, one of them is called "Please Understand Me." Um, psychologist has spent his entire lifetime studying personality types. He uses a personality typing that's based on the Myers-Briggs personality typing, but he's modified it. And I, I love his descriptions of the personality types because it helps me understand when I know what your personality type is, I understand what motivates you, what, what, how you think, why you care about these things and not those things why you would prefer to be alone instead of in a group, why you may or may not be a leader, why you look at something rationally and want everything to be logical and make sense. That's the rational personality type. And for other people, why they tend to be driven by emotions, why they care so much and they're so passionate about justice and about um, uh, fairness and equity and those that is tends to be an idealist personality. Um, those people tend to be people like Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, people who are great um, social activists. Jimmy Carter was actually uh, a idealist personality type. They're very compassionate. They're very loving, tender people. It's they're strongly motivated, but it's all tends to be idealist. Uh, they're very idealistic people. And see, the thing is, if you understand how so, what motivates people, like some people are motivated by ideals, and some people are motivated by success, Trump, artisans. Then there's other people like uh, me and Adam. We are what Kersey calls um, guardians. Guardians are motivated by duty. Guardians have a strong sense of duty to society. We have a sense of everything that we do, we feel like we have a duty and a service we have to provide to our community. They tend to end up being cops, which is why Adam's family is mostly cops, uh, paramedics, nurses, people who work in public service. Those are the guardians. 
They want to make sure everyone's safe, being taken care of, laws are obeyed. Um, they tend to be big on community institutions, structures, um, the foundations of society. They want everything to kind of roll along smoothly. They, they, they don't like instability in society. They don't like revolution and revolt. They like everybody playing by the rules and everyone being safe. That's what motivates guardians, personality types. That's me. That's Adam. If you start to understand all these different personality types, I have a son-in-law who is a, is a rational. He is a classic rational personality type. For a rational, everything has to make sense. They get rattled and angry when things don't make sense. They're rational. They think in terms of logic. And they like to, they're, they're people who like to understand systems. And um, for them, the bottom line is it needs to make sense. And here's where, here's where rational personality types and guardians clash. Because with guardian personality types, they want customs, traditions, and laws to be followed first. And whether or not it makes sense is a secondary consideration. For the rational personality type, it has to make sense first. And whether it's legal, moral, or ethical is secondary. Okay? And this is why people have disagreements. A person who's running a business may say, well, I understand what the law says, but that doesn't make sense. It's an arbitrary law. It's illogical. This is what I'm going to do regardless of what the statute or the regulation says. That is how a rational personality thinks. Rationals have a difficult time doing anything that doesn't make sense, that isn't logical, even if it's the law or the customs or the society's norms or the way it's always been done. Rationals do not like to think in terms of the way it's always been done. They want to do things that make sense. That's a rational personality type. Guardians are always worried about, is it legal, is it ethical, and is it moral? Whether or not it makes sense, you know, look, let's just follow the law. Let's just follow the way that the book says, let's just do it that way. And so... <clears throat> I find the study of personality types very interesting because it explains a lot of the wars and disagreements that are going on on, on Periscope and on Facebook. People have all these arguments. Why are you all arguing? Why, do you, why can't you see things the same way? Because we all have a different personality type and we view the world differently and we view ourselves differently. We view our role in the world differently and that's all personality typing. So... Ginger, you could be. Hey, Ginger, look up David Kersey, K-I-E-R-S-E-Y, David Kersey, and his personality typing. You can Google it. You'll, you'll find it. K-E-I-R-S-E-Y. Denise is correcting me. K-E-I-R-S-E-Y, David Kersey. He wrote a, the book, Please Understand Me, and one, and then Please, Please Understand Me, too. He wrote another book. He's got a website where you can go in there and look at the different personality types. He has an online test you can take. Like I said, it's based on the Myers-Briggs personality typing, but it's, kind of, it's a modified version of it. And if you read through the different personality types in there, you will learn so much about people. And you'll understand 
why they act the way they do. If you do not understand your spouse's personality type or your kid's personality type, it, and you don't understand why they, what motivates them, why do they act this way? Why do they say these things? If you understand their personality type, it won't drive you crazy when they act differently and see things differently than you do because <laughs> it's their personality type. I don't get frustrated over what Trump does because I understand his personality type. That's just in his DNA. It's how he is. That's how artisan promoters think and act, and they have a value to society. It's not how I would do it, but it's how that personality type works. It's good to study personality types. Most people, when they get interested in personality typing, all they want to do is they want to know their own personality type, and they want to connect with other people who are like them. But the really useful part of personality types is understanding how other people think. All right, guys, I got to head out. Uh, I'm sweating like crazy. It's getting hot in my house, <laughs> and it's not even hot outside. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's the lights here. I'm on my set here in my little studio. Got my lights all over the place, everywhere. Anyway, love you guys. You're amazing. I'm going to go. I don't know how Adam does those three and four hour scopes because I'm, I'm toast right now. Mentally, I'm just mush. I, I can't even think anything else. So, You guys are groovy. Thanks again for your love and support. Pray for the president. Pray for France and the country, and I'll catch you guys on the next one. Well, folks, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for dropping by. If you're new to the podcast and you haven't been to my website, you might drop by and check out the articles I have there. If you have any questions or comments about this show, you can contact me at admin at prayingmedic.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at prayingmedic.com. You can also contact me on Facebook and Twitter. I'd like to thank you again for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed the show.